Ah, oh, there we go. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to yet another edition of Radio Pulpits, filling the gap with me, Dwayne von Rensburg. Such an awesome privilege to be uh, spending the next hour with you. And um, I want to give God all the glory once again for the opportunity to use this medium to impact lives for the kingdom of God. It is so awesome to be an instrument in God's hands. And I really do pray to God that I live up to your expectation if it comes to serving Jesus as my number one priority on radio. This evening, once again, an awesome evening as I'll, um, I'll be joined by Reverend Paul Coupe and um, myself and Reverend Paul Coupe will be talking about Of course, the very hot topic on everyone's lips right now, which is the hate speech bill, which earlier today, uh, the due date, one o'clock this afternoon, was the due date for the final submission to stand against the hate speech bill. Myself and Reverend Paul Capay will be touching on a few aspects regarding the hate speech bill and how it will be impacting the Church of Christ if this hate speech bill do go through and if our president signs this off in August, what impact will it have on the church? So um, in future, if you didn't know this, myself and Paul Coupe, uh, we spend time every last Monday of every month right here on Filling the Gap. And then, of course, on a Tuesday morning, you can go right over to Radio Pulpit's Facebook page uh, and, and website to go look for the podcast of our shows, and you can distribute that far and wide. I think that's enough from me. I think we should jump straight into the program. It's such a absolute privilege. Reverend Paul Coupe, this has been an insert in my show for the past three years, and um, by the looks of things right now, and by the looks of our audience and our listeners, Reverend Paul Coupe can't go anywhere. This is her slot every last Monday of the month. So once again, an awesome privilege to welcome my good friend, Reverend Paul Coupe. Hi, Rev. How are you? Hey, my buddy. It's great. It's great to be back on again, you know, in our monthly slot. It's so exciting, and a big, big shout out to our regular listeners, thank you for listening in. But more importantly, thank you for participating in the process. Just remember that you have a right as a citizen to participate in the process and knowing what's going on. And that's what we're trying to do here with my buddy Dwayne is to try and, and educate and sensitize and keep you aware so that you know what you need to do as a citizen of this nation and as an ambassador of Christ. Yeah. Having said that though, listen, buddy, there's only one legend and that's Yeshua as Jesus. So we, we are just his messenger. <laughs> well, Rev, I can tell you this. Now, I've been, um, <laughs> my inbox have been spammed this week by people who obviously over the course of the past few years, they know that the two of us, um, when we are on air and the stuff that we do, uh, they know that we talk about stuff like hate speech, bill, papuda, unisex toilets, uh, the uh, comprehensive sex education and it's weird because in in the social media and the newspapers and everywhere uh, there's been a lot of a uh, smoke going up regarding the amendments of certain stuff and our radio yeah. public listeners have actually been writing and phoning asking when are we hearing from Dwayne and Reverend Paul Coupe regarding the latest stuff and Rev we are literally we don't have days for what we are discussing now we're literally on hours hours that's left for certain stuff what are we discussing today Yeah, well, we have hours, but, you know, I mean, it's this program is released at 7 p.m. So um, our deadline expired at one o'clock today. Um, So I really pray that people have have come to the table. And of course, I'm referring to the hate speech bill. Now, there are a number of things that I want us to talk about, um, Dwayne, um, after we talk about the hate speech bill, what needed to be done. Um, But I also am very concerned around some processes 
and how it's been dealt with generally. Let's have a conversation on that because I think as a public, we need to ask our parliament certain questions. We have a right to ask them certain questions. The way in which it was conducted, I mean, this is like the third reading or something of the hate speech bill. And I'm concerned that the last time there was such a huge number of people who, who gave feedback and we never got a report back. So let's talk about that, but let's talk about it afterwards. Let's talk about the issues now, because as we know, this was not the first reading of the hate speech bill. And, you know, I've been talking about this bill, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit fed up with this bill mm. because I've been talking about it now, Dwayne, for 13 years. And when I first mentioned this bill, it was nowhere in sight. 13 years ago, I wrote some articles in, an, in the Move magazine and I was warning the public that this bill is coming. And my, my whole um, intent was to try and prepare us and get us ready for when the bill comes so that we can respond accordingly. So I wrote a number of articles and listen, the reason why I knew it was coming, Dwayne, is because it was already in the United States by that time. So in the United States, the hate speech bill was, they were really um, doing a lot on it. And what I was observing in the United States was that they were using the hate speech bill to silence churches. So all of a sudden, this hate speech bill in the United States um, was released and people, pastors could no longer preach about sin. Pastors could no longer say this or they go to prison. And I knew, Duane, along with other people, that it's only a matter of time. It's a question of time because I don't want to, I mean, I do have a prophetic grace, but I don't want to lie and say I was prophesying. Mm. I, I, It was a logic. It was a reasonable logic. I logicked it reasonably. Because I know that South Africa, we kind of sometimes think we're a mini America. We like to imitate America. We like to do what America does. So when America says we're shutting down the nation because there's this strange virus, whatever, we're going to do whatever they do. Um, I don't know whether it's because we're still colonized or I don't know, but there are many reasons. So I knew that because we love to emulate the United States, we are going to probably follow the same narrative the same trajectory, which is to bring in a hate speech bill. And that hate speech bill will be predominantly and primarily targeted at churches, churches that are vocal about sin, churches that want to evangelize and call people, you know, the, the way that God tells us to call them, that we are the salt, we are the light. Mm. I knew that, listen, the hate speech bill was not being considered 12, 13 years ago, but I knew it was a question of time. And of course, 13 years later, it is here. It is here and it's here in a very ugly format. So it's been going back and forth, back and forth in parliament, number one reading, two reading, three reading. But anyway, so today was the last day for the public to um, comment, make comment on this last um, presentation of the hate speech bill. And I must say from the onset, Dwayne, it's been very disappointing. Remember how last time we had over 100,000 submissions? Yeah. And remember you and I, I mean, we did not sleep, Dwayne. We were, I remember the last few days, I mean, you know, organizations like 4SA had been talking about it. In the last week, I remember we didn't sleep. I was holding um, in Bezos with hundreds of pastors and leaders. You and I were on radio. I, I would be traveling, flying to Cape Town and, and you would interrupt me and say, listen, as soon as you land, let's do this. <laughs> 
And and we did it. And we did it. You know, we got criticized by people who did not know what they were talking about. Mm. But we 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 stayed true. And by God's grace, within one week, I remember, you know, when we started, it was like a Tuesday when we really started mobilizing. At that time, there were like 10,000 or so submissions. And by the Friday, the close of Friday, they were over 100,000 submissions. Mm. So, you know, communal efforts, group efforts um, ensured that there were over 100,000 efforts that were made. Now, this time, uh, there's some really concerning um, aspects around this bill, around this bill. First of all, let me just say, what is the hate speech bill purporting to do? Purporting to do. In the first instance, the government is, is saying is saying, this is what they are saying. And this is, I will tell you later what its real agenda is. The government is claiming that the hate speech bill is supposed to protect vulnerable people and people in a a vulnerable grouping. Okay, what I'm saying as a matter of a fact is that the hate speech bill is introducing a new crime of hate speech. That's what it's doing. It's introducing a new crime of hate speech. What what is that hate speech um, doing? In the first instance, one of the very concerning things, Dwayne, is that it's going to introduce a potential jail sentence of up to eight years for a first offense. Sure. For a first offense. Now, that in itself, Dwayne, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary for saying something for a first offense. Ordinarily, first offenses, you know, They tend to be a little bit more milder. But this is what I want to say. We have people who have committed murder, Dwayne, murder, and have gotten eight-year sentences for murder, for murder. And now you may potentially get up to eight years sentence for a first offense on hate speech. So to me, there's something wrong with that. That people can be sentenced within a in similar category, a similar um, numbers of years sentence for offenses that are much more serious in, in, in terms of having taken somebody's life. And there, I mean, we can look at, at, at cases, um, well, I don't want to mention cases, but they're popular cases that we know where people were given like around 12 years sentencing. And then what? They get out after eight years with parole. So that is the first, my first area of really ding, ding, ding. And secondly, Dwayne, a question we need to ask ourselves is that the last time it came around, remember that when we looked at the hate speech bill last time, it carried a maximum sentence of up to five years. Mm. Now it's eight years. So ding, 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 ding. What's going on here? Why is the government so focused on putting away people who they say um, have committed hate crime speech. It sounds to me like this: the government is really targeting people here in this. It sounds to me like they want to make sure that whoever is charged with 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 um, a hate crime is put away for a long time. Um, now we wrote back, remember, Dwayne, and I can tell you most certainly and most assuredly, uh, submissions were made through DRSA. Submissions were made directly. And I know pretty much that the majority of those submissions 
were to say that South Africans do not want this hate speech bill at all, mm. let alone that they didn't want it in, in a certain format. They didn't want it, period. That was the general consensus of the South African pub, uh, public. So how is it that this hate speech bill, they ignore over 100,000 submissions that were tendered to say, we don't want this bill. And it, not only does the bill come back, but it comes back even more uh, serious, tighter. It comes back worse when, when the public wrote back to say, we don't want it. And we are concerned about this provision. We're concerned about the number of years that have been given um, in terms of, of, uh, of, of the sentence. We're concerned about that. The government doesn't listen to what South African citizens have said. Instead, they pretty much say, hi, Suga, to your concerns. We don't care that you're concerned about a five-year sentence. In fact, we're just going to go and increase the sentence and make it eight years now. So take that. I mean, that that is very concerning because it tells me that the government basically doesn't care about what the public says. It tells me that they're on a, a narrative, a trajectory to do what they want, regardless of what South African citizens have said. And if that is the case, that's very concerning because then it, it puts a question mark. It undermines the whole procedure. Why do you bother consulting with the public? Why do you bother consulting with South African citizens if you're not going to listen to what they say? Mm. They tell you overwhelmingly in an overwhelming response, we don't want this bill uh, and we don't like the way it's it's framed. And we think the sentence is too harsh. And you come back to say, hi, Connor, we don't hear you. We don't listen to you. In fact, we're going to increase the sentence. That, that's how much we respect you as South African citizens. That's how much we we think uh, that that you're, you're worth. We don't value your opinion. We don't value your feedback. We are just doing this to tick the box, basically. That's what that's what I um the only conclusion one can come to. That we're doing this as an exercise to pretend that this is a democratic nation, when truly speaking, it's not, because we've already made up our mind that we're putting this bill in place and we're going to do what we think is right for you. What we think is best for you, we don't care that you think it's not best for you. That's that's the response. That's the only way we can interpret what they've done. So that's very concerning. Like I said, uh, the first instance around um, the instance of of uh, the eight year sentence, the eight year sentence. It's very, very, very concerning. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a lot for any sentence. Um, the second thing that one has to be very concerned about is the whole aspect of the definition of hate speech. Dwayne. Mm, yeah. And we've said this number many, many times. It's not clear. What is hate speech? What is hate speech? It's such a fuzzy area. You know, if I come up and say, I don't like you, maybe I don't like you. Is is that hate speech? Mm. That, so I can't, I can't um, profess or confess, you know, that I, I may not like you. So, but it's my right not to like you. You know, so there are all these these gray areas, these borderline areas. It's not clear. And and the danger of that, Dwayne, is that people who have something against you, it's going to be very easy. If it's not specific, if it's not clear what hate speech is, this this provision, this bill can be used by malicious people to put good people away to put innocent people away, to claim that you uttered 
something hateful when you didn't. So we have to be very careful. Our prisons are already very full, Dwayne. We don't want our prisons to be filled more with innocent people who have said nothing, but because of a subjective, uh, a subjective interpretation, which has been interpreted wrongly as hate speech. Now we're gonna fill our already filled prisons with innocent people. So it's very concerning that um, the definition of hate speech, it's not clear. It's, it's very, very wide. Uh, when you look at the legal instruments that refer to it in the constitution, in the Equality Act, there are other pieces of legislation like PEPUDA. Remember we discussed PEPUDA, that that was the um, pr Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act. So they have all talked about hate speech, um, but in the hate speech bill itself, it's given a much, much wider definition of, of hate speech itself. Um, and, and ordinarily, when we write law and legislation, there must be a commonality. There must be a synergy. There, there, there must be, you know, it, it, it must be, there must be an alignment. So it's interesting that the hate speech bill is, is not actually even aligned to the other pieces of legislative instruments and legislation that are also referring to hate speech. So that's another concern. That's another concern. And equally related to that, the definition of hate speech itself is even the definition of harm. What is harm? It's not clear in this instrument, in this in this bill. What is harm? What, what does it include? It's, it's, it's very wide. It's very wide and it's very subjective. Substantial emotional harm. Really, what, what does that mean? That you hurt my feelings. Well, do you know what? Sometimes our feelings get hurt over nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have people out there who you didn't like my Facebook status this morning, so my feelings are hurt. Well, is that a reason for me to go to prison for eight years because my feelings were hurt about something you didn't do? So it's very important that harm be properly defined um, and, and not just be left at hurt feelings because sometimes our feelings are hurt over nothing. Sometimes our feelings are hurt over, you know, we have people who are psychologically damaged. Mm. We have people who have psychiatric issues. And, 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 and you know, we, we can't allow a situation where somebody has been hurt by some other trauma, a trauma maybe that was, was, was um, that they experienced at, at an early age. Mm. And now that trauma is assigned to me. Yeah. That Pearl, you hurt my feelings, but really it has something to do with, um, ages ago when I grew up because maybe I was abandoned by my mom mm. and I want to put that on Pearl. So we have to be very careful about the definition of harm, about the definition of harm, about the definition of hate speech, about the de definition of hatred. Mm. So in a nutshell, Dwayne, all these definitions, I mean, they're, they are blurry. They're not clear. They are, and, and it leaves a very wide open door. Like I said previously, for anybody who's got an issue against you to bring a case against you so they can just put you away simply because they don't like you. Maybe because you owe me money, Dwayne. Somebody owes me money and uh. they don't want to pay. And they're like, oh, no, uh, you know, I hate speech here, hate speech here. And they want to put you away for eight years because they don't want to pay a debt that's due to you. I mean, we have all sorts of vindictive people out there. And what we cannot do 
is allow an unclear law, an unclear bill to be passed, which will be used as a vengeful instrument for people who have issues against others. It's very, very dangerous. Now, one of the things I said also, Dwayne, was to say that one of the reasons why I knew this bill was coming was because 12, 13 years ago, it was already being used in the United States. And the way it was being used in the United States was to manage and to silence the church. So it really was to shut down the voice of pastors. It really was intended to target um, Christians in particular. Um, so we, we have so many cases around the world globally where we can see pastors in particular who've been silenced, who've been imprisoned, who've been shut down um, simply because uh, of their values, of expressing their values, of expressing their faith. And we must remember, this is a section 15 entrenched right. According to the constitution, we have a right in section 15 to express freedom of right, of belief, opinion, religion. We have a right to express our religion. The fact that we're expressing our religion is not symbolic of hatred. And as I've said many times in the articles I wrote 12, 13 years ago, I said, our faith as Christianity is actually um, based on love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So whatever we do ordinarily is, is driven by love. It's not a, a faith that, that is based on hatred and God is going to kill you because of ABCD. It's a faith that's based on love. And so having said that, it's very concerning. We know that in many countries, this bill has been used to persecute Christians. And that is something that we know is going on right now. There's a global persecution of Christians. And this bill ordinarily is used um, to do that, to do that. Now, 4SA worked very hard um, on this aspect, engaging with parliament, engaging with a number of stakeholders who are involved with the hate speech bill. And they worked very hard to try and bring in an exemption clause. What is an exemption clause? Well, an exemption clause, they were trying to push to drive so that people of, of faith, like Christians, would be exempted. And the basis for the exemption would be that, listen, I am not saying this because I hate you as an individual. I'm merely expressing my faith my faith values, the values that are attached to my faith. And so they worked very hard to try and bring an exemption for Christians. But again, the exemption clause, just it doesn't cut it. It doesn't give adequate protection um, for, for people who are expressing their faith, not in malice, but in good faith, because that's what the Bible says, because that's what they believe. Um, so, so it doesn't give adequate um, protection for that. So that was is, is another question of concern. It's been included, but not included properly. It's been included in a very superficial sense, whereby it doesn't afford enough protection to people from the religious faith. So the, the bill is now going to the NCOP um, in June. And um, of course, if it passes the NCOP, because today was the last day, if it passes the NCOP, then it means the president is going to sign it in law. And that will most likely, if he does, if he does sign it, then it means he will probably sign it maybe in August around there. And guess what? That means it is law. So that means from here on, 
if it is signed into law, that means from here on, you and I must be very careful about what we say, because then it means if we are charged with, with hate speech under this act, then it means uh, we are likely to face a possible eight-year sentence. Eight-year sentence. So that's that's very concerning. I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to ask you there, because you just mentioned something that was brought up in a conversation over the weekend. If, if, if the hate speech bill goes into law, let's say August, it, it, it's not backdated, right? It's only effective from the date of the sign, yeah. correct? It should be, yeah, it should be. Uh, most laws do are not applied what we call, we have a legal term for it retrospectively. So they are applied from the date of implementation, unless there's a provision in the law, maybe that would apply them retrospectively. So the term retrospectively simply means, you know, before the law was, was passed. But you can't do that. That would be unfair because people would not have known that it was an offense. So, um, so, it, just, to, it, it, so just to put this, uh, while it's not law yet, I can use the words re ridiculous. But just to put yeah. this ridiculousness into, in, into, into perspective, if I right. wake up to morning, this morning and I say I feel like a frog and I expect you to uh, greet me like a frog, yet you laugh at me and you say, I don't think you are a frog, I think you are a dog, then technically I can now take you to court because that's hate speech because you hurt my feelings. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, for, for me, um, you know, it, because it's, it's talking about speech, so it must be something that you've uttered. So the aspect of treating you like a frog uh, I think is is exempt in this instance. Um, I don't have to treat you like a frog, but um, you know, I I I then depending on what I say in response to your your claim to be a frog, it may potentially be um, you know be 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 considered to be hate speech, and that's part of the problem, though, Dwayne, is that we don't know, as I've said, the definitions of hate speech, the definitions of harm. The definitions of 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 what constitutes harm or what constitutes uh, hate, they're not clear. So at this point, Dwayne, it, it's hard for us to even say, you know, what you could be charged with or if you will be charged with hate speech in this instance. It's difficult because a lot of it has been left to the subjective test. It is not been clarified to a point where it's it's objective and you just apply certain points and say okay this has been ticked tick 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 definitely this constitutes hate speech it's not been uh drafted in that format so right now we don't know and that that's why i'm saying it makes it wide open for anybody to be charged it makes it wide open even for the judicial officers so what's going to happen also duane is that something that one judicial officers finds to be hate speech another judicial officer may not find it to be hate speech because they're using different standards subjective kind of tests and standards so what one judicial officer may find offensive may not be what another may find offensive and that's just that's just ridiculous like you said let me use your word it's ridiculous because it means that you know law is is set in different ways you have legislation but you also have case law. So cases also begin to form part of the law because 
people follow case law. So if you're going to actually contribute to different case laws and, and precedents, that's also a matter of concern because the law has not been defined properly and effectively that judicial officers may interpret it differently. That's concerning. That's very concerning. You know what happened over the weekend, Rev? Um, I spent time with a very well-known uh, pastor in South Africa. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention his name. I don't want to hurt his reputation. Um, yeah. He he gave me some perspective on the impact that the hate speech bill can have on the church, and he gave yeah. me a, a, a very interesting thing to think about. He says, imagine you're a pastor and you don't even use your own words, but you purely quote scripture. And he says, yeah. you take, for example, a scripture like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believeth in him should not perish. If you only take that scripture, that scripture yeah. is very offending to non-believers because that scripture says that you will perish because you don't believe. And that is the impact that this can have on the church because we won't even be allowed to quote certain scriptures because it'll be offensive to non-believers. And that is how dangerous this is for the church of Christ. Listen, Duane, we already even have a case already that is similar to that, where one young um, man was evangelizing and talked about that you can only have access to Jesus in a certain way. And that that's a standing court case as we speak, that somebody from a different faith was offended by that. And it's, it's already a court case to say, um, you, you can't limit who has access to, to Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. So we already have cases like that. So what this, this bill is going to do is actually strengthen such cases. Mm. That now, John 3, so literally, it wipes out your ability to reference so many scriptures in the Bible, scriptures that, that speak around exclusivity, scriptures that talk about maybe your hell, going to hell, etc. So if you're an evangelist and you're preaching now and say, repent, or you go, you're going to hell, I mean, all those, all those are examples of where you can be actually taken up on that. So literally evangelists, many evangelists will be shut down because that is that is the process for, for, for connecting to Jesus. There must be repentance. There must be forgiveness of sin. There must be accepting Jesus. And there, there's a, a, a way of, of accepting him and confessing him. So literally it, it, it is going to challenge all of that, all of our Christian doctrinal beliefs. That the whole message of John the Baptist, repent, <laughs> repent is, is a message that now is going to be problematic. So in other words, we are, we are going to become institutions that specializes in motivational speaking, 10 ways to reach success, and no longer institutions that has the right to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to call sin on its name. Absolutely. And the gospel, I mean, I keep telling people, you know, people keep telling me, don't be sin conscious, sin conscious. I said, it's not a question of being sin conscious. It's a question of being gospel inclusive. Mm. You cannot preach the gospel without actually uh, allowing people to be convicted by their previous lifestyle. How do you do that? You, you have to preach the aspect around confessing our sinful nature that we can now embrace Yeshua, 
So it's not about being um, sin conscious. It's about preaching the fullness of the gospel, which means leaving your previous life so that the old man, the old sinful man can be buried and the new man in Christ can rise up. So that that is now, of course, what uh, 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 the agenda of the world is, is to take out the power and the muscle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, once you've taken out all those doctrinal realities and aspects, you've literally, um, you know, like you said, you've reduced the gospel to just motivational um, speaking, 10 steps to, to get a house. So people will just be focusing on how to get a house, how to get a car, which is not the mandate that we've been given as children of God. Um, we've been we've been mandated to embrace, receive Christ, live a holy life, live a righteous life, represent him as ambassadors of Christ, which includes preaching the full gospel, not a compromised message, um, all of that. So, so, you know, now we'll be reduced to just talking about prosperity, material related things, you know, how to get a house, car, husband, etc., wife, all those um, superficial things which is not really what the kingdom of God is. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, which is, and it says, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is, is righteousness, joy and, joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. So how are we going to preach righteousness if we can't even talk about sin? If the kingdom of God is righteousness. Now we can't talk about unrighteousness and unrighteous acts. Yeah, and just to think about you just you just spoke from your heart and you just from your heart just let it go. But even within the context of your natural talking, uh, we now have to define the terminology wife. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for saying that, but yeah. that is how, 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 how this has become. Rev, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and we've been at uh, the past year. We apart from the hate speech bill and the Papura bill, we've spoke about comprehensive yeah. sex education. We've spoke about the unisex toilets, um, and all of it. It's it's one thing to talk about it and to listen on radio. But last week, I actually visited a school that has yeah. now broken down the wall between the boys and the girls' toilets. And yeah. this, this is a primary school that now has unisex toilets. Um, this is scary. This is not just talking. This is on our doorstep. It's scary, Dwayne. And um, yeah, this is going to just be our last point before we check out for today. It's not even just the schools. I went to a, um, a bathroom um, in Midrand some time ago and it was a mug and bean bathroom and it was also um you know just all genders all genders and and i was concerned but you know what was interesting about that bathroom Dwayne? you know what they said on that bathroom for all genders <laughs> they they said they, they put a sign that they do not assume the risk whatever happens in in, in that those bathrooms in other words you you take the risk if you go into those bathrooms, they said that they, they are risk-free. Go in at your own risk. So the question I was asking myself is, if you're going to make a statement like that, it means that you are conscious of the fact that anything can happen to, to you when you go into those toilets. That the fact that they, they, they are um, uni, unisex means that you're, you're actually entering into a risky environment. So if you know that you're creating a risky environment. Mm -hmm. Why do you do it? Why do we do it? You know, we know that children have been raped. That that famous, was it in the Spur, I think, or one of the restaurants? A, a little five-year-old girl was brutally raped. In Dross. 
Endros, sorry, thank you. Endros, uh, brutally raped. We know that that that's a that's a place that criminals and rapists find it easy to target children when children go in, little girls go in, and even little boys go into the bathroom. If they're not accompanied by an adult, they're at risk. And so this restaurant understood that. It was mug and bean, sorry to say. But so they're now saying that, but, that we know it's a risky environment, but we're absolving ourselves of liability. I want to say this to any restaurant. If you know that there is a risk, the fact that you've put a sign there does not necessarily absolve you of liability. I personally um, will find a group of attorneys with myself. And if a restaurant has, has provided a risky environment and then tries to uh, remove their liability with that sign, um, I'm definitely going to, to, to pair up and team up with some attorneys to make sure that liability, you still assume liability regardless because there's nothing like blankets, no liability. There's nothing like blankets. You cannot, by virtue of a sign, uh, remove yourself from assuming liability just because you put up a sign, but you know you've created a dangerous environment. So we're going to test this in the courts. We're going to test this in the courts. And I want to advise um, any manager of any restaurant that we're going to test it in the courts. So put up that no liability at your own expense. You are also assuming a risk. Um, make sure you contact your legal advisors to advise you accordingly, because just putting up a sign of no liability doesn't necessarily absolve you from liability. But the education department is very, very interesting, Dwayne. The stuff that's going on in education, as you've said, comprehensive sexuality education. I've recently seen a petition that's actually going out calling for the resignation of the minister. And here's the thing that we need to look at, um, Dwayne. Now, let's look at this, Duane. The, the, the Department and Ministry of Education has been focusing on a, a lot of things. Number one, they focused on comprehensive sexuality education, sexualizing our children, um, changing the values uh, and principles of Christian children. They focused on also making sure that they, they vaccinate our children with clinical trial vaccinations. They've focused on um, now the latest thing that they were focusing, Department of Education, they were doing what? They were making a call for proposals for ancestral worship to be taught in schools. Mm. So let's just take a look at what their focus is on. Sexualizing our children, bringing in um, values that contradict our Christian values, um, bringing in ancestral worship. That's their focus. But here's here's. What What is the reality? Statistics. This is what statistics show now. And I'm reading it actually from this petition that was started from the, the Department of Basic Education's own report, own report, Dwayne. It says that the majority of um, matric students who take critical subjects in matric, they get less than 50 percent in those subjects. Hmm? They get less than 50 percent. Um, the, 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 they're, they're getting very low marks in mathematics, very low marks in physical science, very low marks in accounting, life sciences, economics, business studies. Here's another terrifying statistic. This is from the Department of Basic Education, not from anybody else. It shows that eight out of every 10 children, that's 
cannot read for meaning for meaning mm. by the age of 10 by the age of 10 now it shows that 81% of grade 4 learners in south africa cannot read for meaning now let me ask this dwayne sure. shouldn't that be what our minister of education is focusing on mm. that, that our, our students should be able to read our students should be able to pass the critical subjects mm. the stem subjects science technology you know all of that economics maths all of that but they're failing all of them mm. isn't that what her primary goal should be but instead, she's focusing on sexualizing our children and teaching them about ancestral worship. That's concerning. Mm. So I want to say that I completely understand this petition and, and I, I, I fully support its intention. Um, I, I, I hope that it would have an impact because as minister, one would expect the minister to be focusing on, on, on things that fall within her primary mandate which is to make sure that our children are educated. They can read, they can be employed, they can get jobs, mm. not focusing on, on other things that are rather destroying them instead of building them. So I, I, do, I do actually support this petition. I'm just concerned about it because I, I, I'm wondering what effect it will have because we know that the government doesn't care about our petitions. They have no legislative impact. Unlike the United States, in the United States, when you reach a certain number of petitions, then it gives you the capacity to now bring it before Senate and, and to be considered. We don't have those same rules in South Africa. So petitions in South Africa generally are just to show an opinion that this is the opinion of a certain group of South Africans. But in terms of legislative influence, doesn't really carry a lot of legislative influence and that's that's what discourages me. That's what discourages me really? about petitions. I don't want to discourage people from doing petitions, but I'm just saying legislatively, they carry little or no impact on legislation. So the South African government is going to ignore them like they if they can ignore even our legislative submissions, our submissions on on law, what do you think they're going to do to petitions that don't even carry the same impact? So well done to those who started petitions. Hopefully they will amount to something. I'm not trying to be a doomsday or down profit. I, I, I fully support it. But let's also think of other initiatives and ideas um, that will really ensure that we have a good minister of education who can deliver on the mandate to educate, to ensure that our children are properly educated. Rev, just in conclusion, the thing that discourages me the most is when you go look at the so-called statistics of the Christian to other religion ratio in South Africa, and we yeah. think to ourselves that an odd 70% of South Africa are so-called Christians, then yeah. this really discourages me. Because if we talk about, example, 50 million people in South Africa, then an odd 30, 35 million people should be mobilized to stand together against our government, to stand against these things. And this for me is very discouraging because when we call on the church or when we call on our fellow brothers and sisters to stand together to stop a bill, we very seldom get support. But when the bill is in, then we want to do something about it. Um, yeah. For me, that is very, very discouraging as a Christian. I'll be bluntly honest with you. Because where is the 70% when we need to stand against these things? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, and I mean, I, I think our population is even more than that. I think we're 60 million plus. And, and, and our Christian figures have been quoted as high as 80% and above 80%. But as you say, um, our actions do not actually validate that. They don't support that, that we are that. And I also think that it's also because we, we are compromised, even that 80% figure. I think some of us have one foot in Christianity and one foot in something else, Whoa. you know? So I, I just want to make a call out to believers out there to say, it's time. This is the time that we cannot be compromised Christians. We must take a stand for something. We either believe in God, we either believe in Jesus and Yeshua, or we believe in something else. You can't have one foot Kair and one foot Gadar. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, Reverend, conclusions just before we say goodbye. What's happening in the life of Reverend Paul Gupay? Where can we see you? Where, what can we watch out for? Go for it. Okay, well, so now I'm just on my way. I think that's a nice way to introduce. I'm just on my way to go and do um, recording. We're doing some video recordings with Ratif, Ratif Berger now, um, who I think the whole of South Africa knows. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a prayer initiative that has been started by Michael. Michael van Veek is a friend of mine. And just encouraging Christians to pray uh, for different areas. We're going to be praying for load shedding. We're going to be praying against, um, well, we're praying against load shedding, not for it, but against load shedding. We're going to be praying against um, taking up the prayer item of murders and robberies and hijacking and sexual assaults. And so we're, we're going to be praying now. I'm going to be doing recording the English version and Ratif is going to be doing the Afrikaans version. But it's just to send out little video clips out there, just reminding South Africa, don't give up South Africa. There's still hope. Why is there still hope? Because for as long as God is still there, we always have hope. For as long as Jesus is there, Yeshua Christ, the hope of glory, he is our hope. So don't throw in the towel, remain prayerful. So look out for these um, little clips that are going to be coming out soon and go and mobilize your communities, your neighborhoods out there to say, come on, we are those, you know, um, what? We are the 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 Chisanyama eating, cook sister <laughs> eating, pop and flace eating people that do not give up. We are those people who just, you know, people <laughs> that we don't give up. And so let's not give up South Africa. I know situation doesn't look good, but guess what? God specializes in situations that don't look good. He specializes in the Goliaths when they're giants out there that are harassing the land, the giant of load shedding, the giant of road shedding, the giant of water shedding, <laughs> the giant of corruption. That's when God specializes and he raises up Davids. And you are one of those Davids to go and deal with Goliath. When the Sisera in the land is oppressing the land and doing all his jaka jaka nonsense, wahala, as they say in Nigeria, that's when God raises up the Deborahs and the Jaels with the Baraks to go and deal and confuse Sisera and make sure that he gets out of his chariot and he somehow gets lekker dear makar. That's what happened to Sisera. He got so dear makar that he jumped out of his chariot and started running on foot. I mean, who does that? That's so stupid. You've got a chariot that can move fast, but you get so dear makar. Mm. He was so Sisera will get lekker dear makar in this season because the Davids 
the Mordecais, the Deborahs, the Baraks are rising up and we will fight this oppression. We will fight this abuse. We will fight this unrighteousness. And God is on our side. And because God is on our side, who can be against us, South Africa? Can I call? Rev, thank you very much. I love you to bits and I can't wait for our next chat next month. Uh, looking forward. Love you, South Africa. Come on, we can do this. We can do this.